Good morning again, friends. So, uh, you know, uh, it's so good to be back, uh, back in church, worshiping with you. I miss Kyle, although Sage and Ethan did so well. I'm really grateful to you guys for leading us in worship. Kyle's like my brother, and uh, it's not the same one. He's not in here in the morning praying. He gets here at like 5.30 a.m., and uh, I was so excited. I, I forgot he wasn't going to be here. I got here at like 5, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to be like, I'm the man now. And, uh, and he, he never showed up, never showed up. Uh, we are continuing our uh, series looking at the parables, the parables of Jesus, and it's been so good to look at Matthew 13. That's where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, I really want to encourage you, use your Bible. Use your Bible. It's great to have this memory of looking through scriptures on your own and maybe even reading your translation that you're used to reading. Um, you know, I'd... I'd Please, open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew 13. We're going to be toward the end in, in verse 44. But before we start, it just so happens that this weekend is my wife's birthday. Uh, her birthday was yesterday. She turned 35. I know you're not allowed to tell people that. There's like a certain age for women. You're never allowed to say the number. Uh, but I talked to her before this. She was fine. She doesn't care. Um, she turns 35. She's so beautiful. She's so wonderful. And on birthdays, we try to go do whatever it is the birthday person wants, within reason. You can't spend money and you can't take up too much time. Other than that, <laughs> what, whatever you want for your birthday. Uh, but she wanted to go to the Botanica Garden in Wichita, and she loves flowers, and we've got a garden in, uh, you know, around our home, and she's the one that does all the work and makes it beautiful. And uh, she appreciates God's beauty and his creation. Uh, but after we got done at Botanica, it's like, well, what else do you want to do? And uh, she's like, well, I heard there's a new store opening up, Shields. Let's go there. <laughs> and so I was like, of course, let's take our five kids there. That's great. And so <laughs> happy birthday. So we go to, uh, I call it Shields for a certain reason. Anyway, we went to Shields. I call it Shields. Uh, and yesterday... Yesterday was their opening. Yeah, thank you, thank you. All, all the rest of you lactose intolerant people, no, no bueno. But uh, so we go there, and it was packed. There were so many people there at the store. You can imagine like when you go to the grand opening. Yesterday was grand opening. But I heard after going there, we, you know, we hung around and we saw those, the, the divers in the tank in the aquarium and, and all the stuff they had, and, and uh, it, was, it was so cheap there. Uh, it was actually expensive. It's very expensive. But uh, we go there. We had a great time. But I heard that for the grand opening, some people got there before the sun came up. I have a friend that got there by 7 a.m. and there was already a line. And a person from inside the store came out and said, if you're in the line for the free stuff, you might want to go to a different line. Because already stuff was, they knew that stuff was going to be gone. People packed that place out. Uh, when, when they finally opened the doors, they had cheerleaders from Wichita cheering people on, and people were clapping as they were coming, like, spend your money here. It's going to be great. I mean, there was this huge introduction. Uh, but my friend also referenced or made this point. If people knew what the kingdom of heaven was like, it would be like that. 
if, if people understood the value and the joy and the excitement and what you get, the gift of God, they would wake up early, they would spend crazy amounts of money, they would do, they would do just about anything for that reception and that joy. God's kingdom is worth more than some grand opening of Sheol. It's worth more than that. It's worth way more than that. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning because in Matthew 13, Jesus gives seven parables and the last three parables point to the value and the urgency of the kingdom. So you have... He's given some parables, and we've talked about them. We've already gone over this many times. He gives these parables about us receiving the kingdom, what it's like, its growth, uh, the different people, how it's going to be here on earth, and there's going to be lost and saved together, growing together. There's going to be some that claim it and some that walk away from it. He's, he talks about the kingdom, and toward the end, parables, the fifth and sixth parables are all about the value of the kingdom, and the seventh one is why. Why is he giving us all this information, these mysteries, as it says in Matthew 13, the mysteries since the foundation of the world? Jesus says, I'm revealing mysteries that were secret since the foundation of the world. So he, he gives us the value of the kingdom. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and get into it. It's in Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. That's what God's kingdom is like. Now, in this, in this parable, the word for treasure is thesaurus. Uh, in Greek, it's thesaurus. And you know what a thesaurus is. I used to always call it a theosaurus because, you know, I didn't make straight A's in school. Uh, but a thesaurus is like a treasure of words. It's a collection of words. That's where we get our name for a thesaurus. Well, in Jesus' day, thesaurus was this idea of a treasure that you wanted to keep and protect. It's that which is stored up and kept for safekeeping. So it's so value, valuable, you want to keep it, all right? You don't want to take it to etc. or goodwill. You want to keep it. It's valuable to you, and you don't want to lose it. And you want to protect it. It's valuable to you, and it's also, uh, it's fragile. There's, there's some sense of you don't want to lose it, and you don't want something to happen to it. So the word for treasure here, when, when Jesus relates it to a treasure, he's trying to say this is something you want to keep, and you want to protect it. Uh, and, and you can think of that this is like something at home that you would put in your safe, right? If you have a safe at home, or if you were to have a safe in your home, what would you keep in it? What's in your safe? What's, what's the most valuable possessions you have? That's what is in the mind of, of these people. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. And the treasure was buried in a field. It was buried in a field. Now, this is common, right? It, in Jesus' day, they didn't have banks like they do today. Now, I know in Matthew 25, verse 27, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you've read this about the bankers and about the talents and about why don't you give it over to the bankers. The word there for bankers and the idea is in Jesus' day, they had like, think of financial brokers and loan officers. 
They had financial professionals, professionals that did something with your money. They invested it, they traded it for currency, but they didn't store it. They would do something with your money. And so in Jesus's day, there were not banks like there are today where you safe keep your money. That did not exist. So what people would do is they would bury their valuables, their treasures in their land, in their field. Uh, Josephus is one of, uh, a first century Jewish historian. He writes about how the Jews, when there would be, a, a, you know, some outsiders, raiders would come in and pillage a, a village. Uh, what would happen is all their treasures would be kept safe because they would keep them underground secret in different spots that people didn't know. They were secret places. And so the Jews were familiar with this idea of treasure being buried in a field. And what's really cool is they were thinking about their own treasure. So as Jesus is telling them this parable, there were many moms and dads, grandparents, there were many people that in their own field, they had treasure and they were thinking about their own treasure. Things that were so valuable to them, they wouldn't wanna lose it, they wouldn't want someone to take it. And so the treasure was buried in a field, and this is common. And this man finds this hidden treasure. Uh, next, treasure that a man found and reburied, so he found it. So this man must have been working in or traveling through the field because it didn't belong to him. In the parable, he has to go and buy the field. So this is not his field, and this would be common too. You would, you would, uh, you would hire men to work your field. You would hire others to work uh, your land. And so this guy must have been working, or possibly he was a traveler, we don't know. Maybe he was digging a hole for something. If you've ever been camping, you have to dig a quick hole. Anyway, we don't know why he was digging the hole. We don't know. But it was, at some point, he's cultivating the land. And you know, you know like in the movies or in a story where like you, you hit that thud, like Ch-. You're like, wait, what is that? That's not, maybe it's a rock. And then you start to dig around it and you're like, is this a fossil? Is this a treasure? Is this the diamond? You know, what is this? And you, you dig it up. That's the experience of this man. So he's in this field and what's important is he wasn't looking for the treasure. The idea for found the treasure, he's discovering it. He wasn't looking for it. This, he found it and then he reburied it. Uh, the word for reburied is the Greek word crypto. It's where we get our word for cryptocurrency, this, this currency that's hidden, concealed, you can't see it, that kind of idea. So this treasure that he finds, he buries it back in the same spot and hides it. He doesn't want someone else to find it. He doesn't want anybody else to get it. Now, a quick note, because this trips some people up, just uh, this man is not doing something unethical. Jesus is not using an example of someone stealing. It's not stealing. And, th- and there's a couple of reasons why we know this. Number one, we know that the treasure doesn't belong to the current field owner. It doesn't belong to the current owner. How do we know this? Because if he reburies it and he goes and tries to buy the field, whoever he's buying from, they know where their treasure is that they've put in there. They will go dig it back up and then give the land owner over to whoever wants to buy it. They will get their treasure first, right? You don't say, here, you can ha- I'm gonna sell my car, oh, and I'm just gonna leave all my valuables in it and give it to you. You wouldn't do that. And so they would clear their stuff. So the man is being ethical, he's not stealing. The second way that we know that he's not being unethical is, if he was trying to be a crook and dishonest, he would just take the treasure. It's easy, he finds it. He reburies it, means no one else knows about it. 
He knows that this is a secret. If he was corrupt, he would just take the treasure with him. It's that simple, that easy. And so uh, some people wonder if this guy's doing something unethical or illegal, and he's not. So Jesus is giving this parable, and the hearers are only thinking about something that's fine and permissible. They're thinking about some guy finding a treasure, how, how cool that would be. And the next part of the verse, then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And the key phrase in here is in his joy. He joyfully goes and is willing to sacrifice everything. He gladly gives up everything else he has, sells all of it because he wants to buy that field. Um, I should pause quickly and say, depending on your theology, I know that different Bible teachers interpret this passage in different ways. Maybe Jesus is the one that finds the treasure. He's the one that's searching, not us, finding him. For the sake of argument, everyone agrees that these parables highlight the idea that someone has found something so valuable it's worth sacrificing everything else for. So depending on your eschatology and Israel and the church and other things, you may view these last three parables a certain way, that's fine. The idea is this is worth sacrificing everything. So either Jesus is willing to sacrifice everything to gain his people and his church, or this is a parable about the kingdom that those who find the kingdom are willing to sacrifice everything in order to gain it. One of those, they both fit the, the narrative of the Bible depending on your understanding, um, but we're gonna take it from the idea and the perspective of Jesus is giving a parable about how valuable the kingdom is, how important the kingdom is, is gonna be our, our perspective of the morning. So this guy in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. He finds the most valuable thing he's ever seen or known and he wasn't even looking for it. And that's important because that's what's different from the next parable. We need to keep that in mind. He wasn't looking for it and he found it and it's the most valuable thing, so valuable, he sells everything else. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You find the greatest treasure in your life and you are joyfully willing to give up everything else in order to have it. Jesus comments and teaches on this idea uh, at a different part in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, 39, he tells them, anyone who finds, it's the same Greek word for finding, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The idea of find is, if you think you have everything you need, and meaning you don't need salvation from God. You're finding life, satisfaction, fulfillment from the world. If you think you found it, you finally arrived, you have it, and it's outside of Christ, you're gonna lose your life. At the end of your days, you're gonna, you're gonna die and you're gonna stand before judgment and you're gonna lose your soul and you can't exchange your soul for anything else. There's no way for you to buy it back. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life, meaning you sacrifice and give up your life because of me, and that point's really important, his life because of me will find it. So just like in the parable, Jesus is saying, the treasure, to be true, to be uh, certain, 
is not just the kingdom of heaven as if it's a place or a system, but the true treasure is Jesus himself. The idea is you have found your heart's treasure in Jesus Christ himself. That's when you truly find life. The idea of life abundance, eternal life. And so uh, it's not a it, it's a who. It's Jesus. And because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus' next parable is similar. In Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, this parable is different in the one significant way. This merchant is looking for treasure. He is looking for fine pearls. The man in the previous one wasn't looking. This one is looking. One reason why Bible teachers and students, why Christians believe this is about the value of the kingdom is because these two ways don't relate to Christ as much as it relates to people. Some people aren't even looking for the truth and someone comes in, interrupts, and hears the truth and wow, this is the greatest thing. I'll give up my life. I want Christ. They repent and turn to faith in Christ. But there are some other people that are looking for truth and purpose. Now, I don't mean that there are people out there that are holy and sinless and they're looking for God and they're just trying to get him. We know that that's not true. Romans 3 makes that clear. No one seeks after God, not one. But people do seek after truth. I'll give you an example. I went to Oregon, this pagan wasteland. <laughs> I went to Oregon on a mission trip. And I go there and we stay at one of the parks. They have lots of parks. They have rivers running through it. You know, lots of beautiful landscape uh, all over Oregon. I go to Oregon. We stay in Bend, Oregon. But then we go out to some of the other parks. We even went to Portland. We went to other places. While I was there, we were at one park and this inebriated homeless young guy was in a tree. That's a whole different story. Eventually, he comes down from the tree. And I'm, I start sharing with him. I start telling him why we're here. I'm living in Mississippi at the time. Why am I here in Oregon? I'm talking to this homeless, inebriated guy, and he starts telling me, you know what? Oh, you're one of those religious guys. You know, I I've looked, I've, I've looked for God in religion, and he talks about how, like, I, I, I studied Buddha in this place in India, and, and then I went to this other place, and he's, like, making up all these lies. I'm sure this stuff isn't true, but this is what you do when you witness at a park. Anyway, so I'm listening to this guy. I'm just listening to him tell me whatever story you want to tell me. Go ahead. Give me the whole full spiel. So he's telling me all this stuff, and then he ends with, but then I, I haven't eaten in multiple days, and I, I found this apple tree, and I I took this apple off the tree and I bit into it and it just filled me with wonder and I just knew this is really where God is. He's in creation. He's in all of us, man. It's not just Jesus, that kind of thing. And so I wanted to just be like, dude, it's food, okay? And the God who made it, made it so you can live. Obviously, you're missing the point here. But, but you know, I'm, I want to share with this guy. And, and I don't mean that condescending. Before I became a Christian, I was looking for God in all the wrong places. I don't think I'm any better than this guy. But this guy was clearly off track. So finally, I, he gets done with this whole Apple life story. And, and I say, dude, I came, I believe that you are looking for truth. I truly believe that. You're, you're trying to find purpose. I don't think you found it. I know you're trying. You want it. I came 
all the way here to Oregon on purpose just so I could tell you truth exists and there is a God who made you, who really exists and he loves you and, and there's, there's a story behind how you got here and that apple tree got here and God wants you to be right with him. I want to share the truth with you. And then I got to share the gospel with him. He did not make a profession of faith or anything like that. He did listen. I, I will never forget that whole experience, the smells and the stories and all of it. Um, people, there are many people who are looking for truth and purpose. And, and this merchant is looking. He's on purpose. I want, this is like someone who's looking for truth. Tell me which religion. Tell me what philosophy. Tell me which party, tell me which country, tell me which whatever. Uh, young people in our, in our nation, in our communities, in our schools, they're looking for identity and purpose. And, and there's voices and preachers out there saying, oh, find it in your gender and find it in your non-gender and find it in this or that or find it in this place or find it in this philosophy or find it in this freedom of just doing whatever you want. They're getting so many sermons preached at them about where you can find life. People are searching, but they're not necessarily searching for the one true God. They're just searching. They're missing. They're empty. And so uh, this parable of the merchant, he is searching for something. And he's looking in particular for fine pearls. Now, the word for merchant is emporos, it's, it's from the word emporia. If you guys have ever heard of Emporia, Kansas, that's where it gets its name. It means like merchandise, where you buy stuff, because you can go to Emporia on your way to Kansas City and get Starbucks, but now you can just get it here, so but we don't even want to stop in Emporia anymore. Anyway, <laughs> it's the word emporia. But the, the reason why I bring that up, the word for merchant is not referring uh, to... Uh, you're, you're a retailer. It's not someone working at Shields. It's not speaking of just a petty tradesman. The word for merchant speaks of a man on a journey, a person who travels the world in order to find valuable merchandise to resell. So this is speaking about someone, not just a normal retail employee. This is someone who's searching the world for fine treasure. And pearls were very valuable in Jesus' day kind of like diamonds are today. Uh, the, they were valuable first because they were extremely difficult to find. It, it was very hard to come by. Remember, this is before modern scuba gear. I don't know if you know the history of scuba gear. I recently have brushed up on this this week. Uh, the, the diving bell was made in the 16th century. That was not that long ago. Before that, before the 1500s, everybody dove underwater the same for thousands of years. Very hard to dive. Um, there's a 9th century BC gypsum wall panel relief in the British Museum of Antiquities. This is it. This is an Assyrian soldier. He's got an inflated goatskin that he's using. This particular uh, relief is of a battle. Uh, it's in Mesopotamia. It's, a, it's the Assyrian uh, Empire, if you're familiar with them. Uh, this is a soldier that's going underwater in a river to surprise attack another ship. And this is uh, very old, and this is one of the first documentations of, of diving that we have. Um, it's even more difficult to dive in the sea, not just the river. Uh, this next painting is on display at the Manolis Macrillus Sponge Factory in Greece. 
Um, this is, Greece, by the way, is near the uh, Mediterranean Sea and all that. In the time, this is similar to the time of Jesus. So this is all around the same place in Jesus' day. So in this picture from left to right, it shows the progression of diving from the ancient to modern world. And by modern, I mean like the 1800s, but it's modern enough. And so in the first century, when Jesus is giving this parable, you had to free dive over 100 feet to get the bigger mollusks with the best pearls. It was very dangerous. Uh, if you study this, in order for them to get down to certain depths, they had to tie stones to their bodies, get down to the bottom, release them, find a mollusk. Some mollusk could weigh 100 pounds. Um, and so they would have to sink down, almost do like a, a, what's that one magician, Houdini? They would have to let go, uh, untie the ropes of the stones and get the mollusks to bring them up. And so many of them died doing this. Uh, divers would be on coastal areas, seaports, where they would try to haggle prices, and pearls were extremely expensive because it was so hard to get. Uh, that picture is a really beautiful picture, I think, but the Mediterranean Sea today, you can have a visible sight underneath the water without any extra gear up to 160 feet, even today. That's how clean it is, and that's near a sponge factory, which is it's the most popular place in the world for sponges, but is the same as in Jesus' day. And so it was very dangerous and difficult to obtain pearls, and this is why they were so valuable. If you think about the other times pearls are used in the Bible in Jesus' day, you know, Jesus gives the pair, uh, gives, I think it's a, a, as a parable, but when he's preaching about don't cast your pearls before swine, it's because they're so valuable and they're fragile. You have to be careful. Uh, there's two kinds of pearls in the world and one's more fragile than the other, but they're both fragile. And so Jesus used that uh, as a teaching point. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul warns Timothy about women who would adorn themselves with gold and pearls. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have gold and pearls, but the idea is what is the value and the beauty and attention for the gathering? And so this merchant is in search of fine pearls. Pearls were very valuable in Jesus' day. Everyone would be familiar with that. And finally, he finds a priceless pearl. In verse 45, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The word here for priceless is a compound word. It's two words, one meaning large and much, and the other is the word price. And so the idea of anything priceless is something that just has an enormous, just an enormous uh, value. The, the word is only used three times in the New Testament. The other two times, it's used in John 12, 3, speaking of Mary's expensive perfume, and then in 1 Peter 1, 7, where Peter describes our faith as more precious than gold. So this word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses is meant to mean something that's so valuable, it's more valuable than anything else. That's the idea. And it's the same two ideas. These two parables carry the same two ideas, and which are, number one, see the treasure. So as Jesus is teaching this parable, he doesn't want them to just think, okay, the kingdom of heaven is valuable. The idea behind this is, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to see it for what it is. You have to see it for what it's worth. Before you can become a citizen of heaven, 
You have to value Jesus and the kingdom for what it is, which means it has to be personal. Notice how these are individuals. They're not groups of people. It's one man that finds a treasure. It's one merchant that is in search of pearls. The idea is individually you must personally see God for who he is as valuable. Uh, And each person would treasure something different. You know, I bet you can finish this phrase for me. One man's trash is another man's treasure. How do you know that? It's a common uh, modern day parable. uh, uh, parable. It's a modern day uh, uh, phrase, phrase, wisdom. What's the wisdom thing called? It's called something. It's a modern day proverb. Thank you. Thank you. I've got some support over here. Uh, (laughs) Didn't hear anything really from over there. But anyway, it's a modern day proverb and it's so good. Uh, Just like the other proverb, Uh, the other saying is, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The idea is each person values individually. So however much the kingdom of heaven is really worth, it doesn't mean anything to you practically unless you value it for what it's worth. Uh, So you have to see the treasure for what it is. The second idea of the parable or the parables is just our response to the first, and that's make the trade. See the treasure, make the trade. Um, I think of uh, kids, uh, you know, after a trunk or treat or some kind of holiday festival, uh, I don't know about your kids, but if they all get bags of candy or stuff like that, when our kids come home, I don't know why we let them do this, but we say, sure, you can dump your candy all over our living room to where there's no place to even walk. But they dump their candy in piles and then they start sorting them because they're just like, here's my candy, here's my treasure, it's so fun. They sort their stuff. Well, we've kind of banned bartering and trading at our house like because we, you know, we have 12 to 5 years old in my family, so that could get dangerous. But anyway, one year, one of our younger ones didn't get the candy that he wanted. He was kind of missing out. And one of my older kids was being so sweet, and he said, hey, I'll give you this, and I'm making this up. I don't remember the exact candy, so I've got to change the identity of the candy for the safety of my family. <laughs> but let's say, let's say one of, my older, one of my older kids said, I will give you this king-size candy bar for this little Tootsie Roll. And I was just so touched. I'm like, that is so sweet. And I'm like watching this, like so proud. Finally, you're like your parents. Anyway. <laughs> Not really, no. Uh, He offers them, but to the shock of us all, guess what happens? My younger kid is like, no. And we're like, what? No, dude, why why are you, what are you, oh, I want to keep my candy. Dude, your your candy is not very good. Trust me, you want his candy. Like, he is making you a good deal here. You're missing out. Like, and, and the phrase that comes to mind is, make the trade. Make the trade. I just wanted to yell, listen, I will ground you if you don't take it. I want you to do this. It's not an option. I want you to do this. It's because he didn't understand. He thought maybe I'll get tricked or maybe he just was, he was unsure. When you see the treasure for what it is, you will gladly, joyfully, no one has to entice you to do it. No one has to force you to do it. The kingdom of heaven is such a way that when you see it for what it is, you joyfully go and sell everything else you have in order to obtain it. You will sacrifice anything else. This merchant 
This merchant obviously had other fine pearls. So this one pearl must have been just exuberant. It must have been amazing. He sold, and he didn't have like little dinky pearls. This was a real merchant of fine pearls. He had lots of valuable pearls. It was so valuable, he sold them all for this one. And that's the idea of the kingdom of heaven. It is almost inexplicable or unexplainable. It is so valuable, you will give up everything for Jesus. So valuable. You're, you're willing to give up it all. For adults, uh, the idea here for make the trade, not candy. I heard this, uh, this acronym recently, the, the acronym TEAM, T-E-A-M, if you've ever heard this. Uh, TEAM, wherever your team goes, that's where your heart is. That's, that's, where, that's, where it, that's whatever you cultivate in life, whatever you value and treasure, that's where your team is. Team stands for time, energy, attention, and money. Those four areas of your life, wherever you put your time, wherever you put your energy, whatever has your attention, wherever you put your money, that is what truly has your heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the idea for us is, do we see the treasure and are we willing to make the trade? That for his kingdom, whatever God's will is, his will done on earth as it is in heaven, am I willing to give it all in exchange? Am I willing to make the trade? So see the treasure, make the trade, and why? Well, notice how Jesus ends this series with a sobering reality. This is how he ends it. People are gonna end up in one of two places, heaven or hell. Listen to how Jesus ends with Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net. Think of it, your translation might say dragnet, the same thing. A large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, gathered the good fish into containers, and threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You want to know why we need to see the treasure make the trade? It's because people end up in one of two places. Fishermen would understand this parable. There's three kinds of fishing in Jesus' day. There's the single line and hook with bait. There's the individual net where it could be a hand net or it could be like a cast net where it's got weights on it and it goes down, you pull the rope that are tied to the weights and it brings up. But then there's something called a drag net that is this kind of net. This kind of net took a team, usually two boats, and it was like a moving wall underwater. You had a boat on this side with the top corner of the net, one of the corners, tied to the boat, and then you had another boat over here with the other corner tied to the top, and the boats would sail through, like the Sea of Galilee, they did this, the Mediterranean Sea. It would go through, and there would be debris and fish and whatever else was in there. It would close in like a wall coming on, and then there would be these ropes that are tied to the bottom weights that are on the bottom two corners, and they'd pull them up, and it would be like this cradle taking up everything that they just drug this net through. That's a dragnet. Here's the question, or here's the point that Jesus is making. This is God's dragnet that is moving along through history. And he is collecting every person, every soul that's ever lived, 
And one day, God is going to deal with every individual individually. He is going to sort them out from the righteous and the evil. So the question for us is, is God's dragnet gonna be a trap or a safety net? Is this gonna be collecting souls for heaven in the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, the kingdom we're waiting? Or is this net gonna be a trap? And people are gonna be caught up and they're gonna be judged and they're gonna go to one or two places. Right now, in our Christian circles, there are some believers, and I think some of them truly are believers, I just think they're wrong. They're trying to teach, because they probably really wanna believe, that hell isn't real. And, and that in the end, everyone just goes to heaven. The reason why that's so tempting is because as sinful people, we like that idea. The reason why it's dangerous is because it's untrue. Jesus, almost at every turn, when he speaks about the kingdom, brings in this idea and even capstones this idea to this series of parables so that people are clear. There's no gray area when it comes to heaven and hell. And I know hell gets thrown into the lake of fire and that's the real end, I know that. But the ideas of heaven and hell are very real and people are gonna go to one or two places. This is why it's so important that we share the truth with people, which is the third point which is the way that he, after he gives this parable, he says this. He's speaking to the disciples and he says, have you understood all these things? And they lie to him and say, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. It, the Bible says they answered him. I'm not saying it was a lie. Who knows if it was a lie? Feels like a lie based on the rest of their actions. But they answered him, yes. They're saying, yeah, we understand all seven of these parables. Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Do you really understand this? If you're really my disciple, you'll do something with it. It's not enough to know it. If it is true that you understand the parables, maybe you've been going to church for 40 years, great. Maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years. Wonderful, that's so great. You are mature, you've matured in a lot of areas. If that's true, then you will take out of your storeroom, out of your heart, you will bring the truth of God. Why? Because in the end, there are two kinds of people. They're the saints and the ain'ts. And it's the saints' job to get the ain'ts saved. It's our mission to share the gospel truth with those that are lost so that they do enter the kingdom of heaven. It's our job to do everything we can by all means so that we might win some. That is our mission. So he ends it with the dragnet parable, not accidentally on purpose. This is the end reality. And then he gives them the mission, the commission. If you're my disciple then, you're gonna share this truth with others. We've got to share the truth with our neighbors, our family, ourselves, reminding ourselves of the good news. We have to be people of the Bible, of the truth, sharing this truth with others because it is eternally important. It matters if people go to heaven or hell. It should matter. And so Jesus ends it with, then share the truth. If you really understand these things, it better be part of your life of sharing the truth, which is the highest form of hospitality. 
That is the idea of the owner bringing out of his storeroom. For who? Who who does he bring this to? To the guests. It's our job to treat the world as if they're our our neighbor and we love them as if we love ourselves. Being hospitable and sharing these truths. Um, Of course, the new and the old refer to, there's this Old Testament truths that Jesus is drawing from as the foundation, but the new covenant, the New Testament, these principles, the clarity, he's revealing the secrets, as it says in Matthew 13. He's revealing secrets that have been mysteries since the foundation of the world. It's our job to share the truth with the world. When, I, when we stand before God, um, all of our actions are gonna be judged. They're gonna, they're gonna basically, it's like all of our deeds and our thoughts are gonna go through like a furnace, like a fire. And everything that was wasted is just gonna burn up. And what is left over, the, the gold, the silver, the true reward is gonna be our obedience to him and that obedience includes our making disciples, our sharing the truth. If we want rewards in heaven, which we should, the Bible even gives it, offers it to us, like seek treasures in heaven. If we want treasures in heaven, we have to be people that share the truth. We don't want our life just burning up and having nothing left over in order to offer back to the king who gave up everything to save us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for these parables. I thank you for your truth. Uh, How good it is to meditate on your words. Everything, every word you gave was, was a gift to us. And we thank you for this. We pray that you would make us people of your truth that we would study your word, that we would give time and attention and energy uh, to it, that we would truly give our lives and our hearts to your kingdom. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our sacrifice. You're more important than anything else in the world. Uh, We love you, and we pray that you would help us to be a church uh, that doesn't just hear, but that we apply to our lives. Would you have mercy on us? Our kids need the church. Our country needs Christians to be faithful to you and strong. We need your word. I pray that you would, you would strengthen us and fill us with your spirit and that you'd have mercy on us for our pride or our laziness. Would you please intervene? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.